hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Women Worth Knowing. My name is Jasmine Allnut, and I'm joined here, of course, with Cheryl Broderson. Yes, and we are back again for part two, part two. of the very interesting story of uh, Amy Semple McPherson. Cheryl kind of left us with a cliffhanger last time, <laughs> and so we're going to pick up where we left off in China, I believe. That's right. Amy Simple and Robert have moved to China, mm-hmm. and they're staying with these missionaries in Amy goes about um, seeking to find them a house to live in, but um, they're on a budget and they don't know where the money's going to come from. So she's looking for something that's clean, which is not easy to find. Yeah, good luck, right? Right. She wants something clean and something affordable. And when she looked in the nicer parts of town, there was nothing affordable. But then she found the street that was actually clean and nice and this accommodation that was really nice. And it was near the Happy Valley Cemetery. And she didn't realize that in China, um, nobody wanted to live near a cemetery because they thought it was haunted. And not only that, this is a Hindu cemetery. Oh. And the Hindus would burn family members on the coffins of the dead. And so Amy and Robert move in. And it wasn't long till she began to hear the funeral music, and it was eerie. Uh, She said it was the music of death Mm. that was constantly coming through the windows. Demonic, uh, even. Right, right. And they couldn't afford to hire. Everybody else had servants, but she and Robert couldn't afford a servant. They just couldn't. So Amy was trying to cook all the meals, but she didn't know you weren't supposed to eat the local vegetables. And so she was making food for them from the local vegetables, not realizing how that they were fertilized with human um, excrement. So she got very, very sick with malaria, and that was very dangerous because she was pregnant Mm. with a child. And so Robert took care of her while she was sick, and then he came down with the sickness. Mm. So one night while she's in the room, and she's sick, and she's trying to recover, and she's pregnant, she looks out the window, and she sees the funeral procession, and she sees a child lying on the top of a coffin, and she sees them light him on fire. And she sees him sit up straight, and she couldn't stop screaming. She's weak. It was terrifying to her. Robert comes rushing into the room, and he explains to her that that child was already dead, but the fire, what it does is it shrinks the sinews, and so it looks as if the body is sitting up. Oh my gosh, how horrific, But Amy still, she, she couldn't recover. But Um, The Lord began to minister to her that that was what death, death is like, what hell is like. This is is what God wants to save people from. Mm. So Robert got worse, and Amy got malaria again, and they were both hospitalized. She was at the missionary hospital. She was in the women's section. Robert was in the men's section. And she could see, but she saw all these nurses surrounding it. And she began to pray in her weakness for him. And then they came in, the doctor and the nurses came in and said, quick, you've got to go see Robert. And she went in to see him. And he said, you know, Amy promised me if you have the baby, you'll bring her in so I can see my daughter before I go to Jesus. Oh my gosh. So she promises him that she will bring the baby to him. She's in the last trimester of her pregnancy. Ugh. And the next day, Robert passes away. 
And Amy's at his bedside. She's kneeling down and, and she's um, kissing his hand. And his last words was, oh, my poor Moverine, what will you do? What will you do? And he dies, and she has no money to pay for the funeral. And she has to bury Robert. In China, you have to bury the corpse within a day of it dying. She has no money to buy a casket or a plot, and she doesn't know what she's going to do. When a letter arrives and brought to her at the hospital, and this woman back in the United States says, you don't know me, and I don't know you, but I just heard of you. The Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and said, wire Amy $65 right now. And so Here's this money. This is for you. It was exactly the cost to bury Robert. Wow. And Amazing. To, at the Happy Valley Cemetery. Wow. And she's still sick. She's still she, very sick. Gosh. In fact, she wasn't allowed to attend his funeral. Oh. She couldn't even go to the funeral. The other missionaries did. And she couldn't afford a gravestone. So he just had this crude cross. But she promised herself that someday she would put a monument over his grave, which is another story that's still amazing but comes later on. And so she doesn't know what she's going to do, but days later she has the baby, and she names her Roberta Starr after Mm -hmm. her father, Robert. Mm -hmm. So she's Roberta Starr, simple. Simple. But now what's Amy going to do? Well, her mother, Minnie, hears about everything that's happened, and she wires money to Amy to come home. And so Amy books passage with her and the little baby. And it said that the whole crew took sympathy on Amy and this little baby. They all, like all of them, just felt so uh, sorry for this mother who's just so young with this little baby and has just lost her husband in China. So they all took care of her. Well, when she landed in New York, Minnie Kennedy was waiting for her. But by the time she landed, Roberta was sick and not doing very well. And so they ended up going back to the farm where James Kennedy insisted on giving her fresh cow's milk, this little baby, because she kind of had failure to thrive. And James and Minnie like just poured their life and their energies into this little baby girl while Amy recovered. Well, as soon as Amy recovered, Amy wanted to go back to Chicago where Robert had served. And so she tried working with the Salvation Army, but again, Roberta took sick because at that point, Chicago was just so polluted. This mm. is around the turn of the century. Yeah. So she ends up going back to Ingersoll, but Minnie wants to go to New York. So Amy and Minnie go to New York and begin to evangelize, and mm. they would take turns watching little Roberta while they evangelize. So working with the Salvation Army, they would go and they would ask for funds during the day for the Salvation Army, and they were allowed to keep 50% of what they made. Hmm. In the meantime, many would speak at different uh, Salvation Army barracks, I guess you call them, um, (laughs) evangelistic messages or out on the street. So that's how they supported themselves. But Amy's feet were blistered, and she said Mm -hmm. to the Lord, oh, there must be another way to serve you. (laughs) At this time, she met a man named Harold McPherson at church. He was an accountant. He was good-looking, and he fell madly, deeply in love with Amy and little Roberta. And he pursued Amy. Um, They said he pursued Amy until Amy pursued him. Oh, my Like, he just kept pursuing her. Was she not interested at first? She just wasn't interested. Yeah. Um, But— she married him really more for the security mm, than for love. Right. And she wanted security, and she was doing it more for Roberta. And yeah. he loved Roberta so much, and he was a 
good, good father to Roberta. Mm. And Roberta absolutely adored him. So after they got married, she moved to Rhode Island. Benny continued to work in New York. In fact, most of Minnie's marriage was spent apart from her husband, James. Interesting. They lived totally separate lives. And he supported Minnie working on the mission field or whatever she wanted to do for Jesus. And he just kept farming. In fact, he lived into his 90s. Wow. I bet that's another story. Good for him. Yes. (laughs) So she marries, she moves up to Rhode Island. They move into Harold's mother's house, And Amy begins to take over domestic duties, and Harold's mother begins to teach her how to, you know, make beds and how to be, you know, a good mother to Roberta. Life skills. (laughs) Right. And Amy finds out she's pregnant, and she has a little boy, and she names him Rolf. So Rolf McPherson is born, and he's just adorable and darling. But the more she tries to be a mom and settle in, and by this time— Harold has bought them a house, and it's a beautiful house. He's a successful accountant, but Amy is just restless. She's just restless, and she begins to have all these medical problems. She has to have—it starts with an appendectomy, which she's not healing well for, and then it ends with a hysterectomy. And she had 12 different surgeries. And remember, this is the early 1900s. She's young. She's young. She's only in her 20s. So her hysterectomy happened sometime around the age of 24 years old. And she is so ill and she can't recover. And she feels like it's her disobedience. She said, Lord, I pledged my life to you and to your service. And now I'm trying to live comfortably and just be a wife. And I promise you, Lord, if you will heal me, I will give myself entirely to you, no matter what. Well, she was healed. She told Harold, (laughs) I've got to serve the Lord. I've just got to serve the Lord. So she ends up taking Rolf and Roberta and going to the farm in Ingersoll and leaving Harold and just saying, I've got to seek the Lord and find out what he wants for me. What was was his reaction? He was upset. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He was very upset. In fact, he kept trying, he kept writing her letters saying that she should be a wife and that was what God had for her and, you know, not what she was thinking. But when she was home, she heard of a Pentecostal camp meeting in Kitchener, Ontario. It was called Berlin then until World War II. Then it oh, wasn't called Berlin. <laughs> I wonder why. So she left for the meeting. And at the meeting, she just kept going up to people saying, what can I do here for Jesus? What can I do here for Jesus? So first they said, you can do the dishes. And she said, okay, I'm going to do the dishes for Jesus. And doing the dishes for Jesus, she said she was more happy than she had been since she had left for China with Robert. And she just felt like, this is what I meant to do. And then she went up to somebody else when the dishes were done. What can I do for Jesus? They said, you can wait tables. So she started waiting tables for Jesus. And then, you know, when she finished that, they asked her, can you play the piano? She said, yes. Can you lead hymns? Yes. Can you lead the choir? Yes. (laughs) And so she kept doing all these things. So finally they said, can you preach? And she said, yes, because she had preached in London that one time. And she got up. And she gave one of the most stirring messages. And right after she gave this message, this woman came up to her and said, Oh, Sister McPherson, will you come to Mount Forest? We need an evangelist there. And none of these men will come because it's not worth their while. Because mm-hmm. there's the population is really small and the meeting hall only fits 50. But will you please come? I think the Lord wants to use you. So Amy had said to the Lord, whatever 
You tell me to do whatever invitations you open, I'll go. So she goes to Mount Forest and she goes to this hall and there's like three or four people. Nobody's coming and she preaches and she preaches, nobody comes. So she grabs a chair and she goes outside and she stands on the street corner with her hands raised and she just stands there praying silently, just praying and then looking up to heaven until there's this crowd around her and she like doesn't quite know what to do. But she jumps off the chair and grabs it. She goes, quick, follow me. And all the crowds start running after oh, her. Oh my gosh. Now remember this before radio or television. Yeah, yeah. This is happening. This is an event. And <laughs> uh, they come into the mission hall and she tells the people, quick, lock the doors. <laughs> and she evangelizes and all these people get saved. <laughs> and so they bring their friends and come back the next night and the night <laughs> after that. In the meantime, there's this town drunk named Monkey Ape. And he okay. rings the bell in the morning and at night and, you know, telling people what time it is. And right. that's the only thing that he's faithful at. But he's the laughing stock of the town. Sometimes he gets beaten up. He sleeps on the street. People save food scraps for him. Mm. And he just is dirty and stinky. Yeah. And anyway, he's got three bacterias that are eating away his foot. Whoa. And the doctor tells him that he's going to have to amputate it. And so out of desperation, Monkey Abe, drunk as a skunk, goes to the meeting <laughs> hall and asks the women there to pray for him and to anoint him with oil. Well, Amy says, I don't have any, any anointing oil, but we'll pray for you. And she's thinking, well, I know God can do this because he say he yeah. healed me after all those surgeries. So she begins to pray for him and the women clean him up and they wrap it with bandages and they pray over him. And Monkey Abe leaves. Well, he comes back the next day and he's complaining, I don't know what you girls did to my, oh my foot, gosh. but it feels like a thousand needles are sticking into it. So they unwrap the bandages and he looks down and his foot is completely healed. Wow. No bacteria, no nothing. Well, with that, Monkey Abe gives his life to Jesus oh, Christ. <laughs> 100%. Not a drop of alcohol after that. He just lives for Jesus, and he becomes like Amy's right-hand person in Mount Forest. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so amazing. So they've outgrown this meeting hall. So Amy decides that they need a tent, right? So she she goes to purchase a tent, but all she's got is $65. And I will tell you something about Amy Simple McPherson. She never cared about money, and she mm. never thought about money. And that kind of got her into trouble in part four, you'll find out. <laughs> but she just didn't care about money. So she takes the $65. She sees this tent advertised for sale for $500, and she goes to buy it. And the man says, look, I paid $1,500 for it. I'm not selling it for less than $500. And she said, this is all I have, and God wants me to have that tent. So he says, I'll tell you what, if you if you will take it just as it's, not open it, not inspect it, I'll give it to you for $65. She agrees. She takes the tent back to Mount Forest. When she opens it up, it is full of mildew, oh and it's gosh. ragged, yeah. and needs patching. So God. these women who are working with her who have gotten saved, they bring their needles and their thread, and they begin to patch that tent and fix it up and cut out the mildew portions. And the next thing you know, they have this patchwork tent. And then these women with Monkey Abe and some other oh, men yeah. begin to erect the tent, right? So they set it all up, and they hold their first meeting. Well, these winds kicked up during the meeting, really fast howling winds. And all of a sudden, one of the poles began to give way and fall. Oh, my gosh. And Amy didn't know what to do. Remember, she's new at this. And she just looks up, and she's only like 25 years old. She looks up, and she points at the post, and she says, in the name of Jesus, stop. 
The wind stops right then, and the pole gets stuck on a nail, but it's secure and doesn't move from that place. It's absolutely secure. And she carries on the meeting, and all the people are like, What just happened? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And she said, You know, there was a little boy. She made up this story. There was a little boy who was on a roof, and he started sliding down off the roof, and he prayed, Oh, God, help me, save me, when his pants got stuck on a nail that held him, you know, on the roof and from falling. And the little boy turned up towards heaven and said, never mind, Lord, I got caught on a nail. And she said, we don't recognize the salvation of God Hmm. sometimes becomes, it comes so naturally. And God uses these other means that seem so natural to save us. Yes. He works in supernatural ways naturally. Or is it natural ways supernaturally? One yes. of those things. Yes. Yeah, it Supernaturally, is. naturally, as yes, my father used to right. say. It's interesting because I've heard my father tell mm. this story. Uh, Bobby Ayala, who used to be a, a singer, mm. wrote a song, I Got Caught on a Nail. And I've heard more How pastors funny. use this story not knowing that it came from Amy Simple McPherson. I love it. So in the meantime, Harold decided to come out and, you know, he was going to take Rolf and Roberta and Amy back to Rhode Island. Enough was enough. And he came in, sat at the back of the meeting with his arms crossed. And when you heard Amy preach, he fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And he apologized for keeping her back from what the Lord had for her. And he volunteered to do whatever she wanted. And he worked then in Mount Forest with her. And then they decided to go on the East Coast and evangelize. And so he drove the car. (laughs) And so his mother took Roth and Amy's mother, Minnie, took Roberta just for a few months while Harold and and Amy hit the road. (laughs) And Amy got a megaphone and she would preach from the back of the car and they would stop whenever they saw a field of workers and especially the tobacco workers Mm. who were who were black, Mm. she would stop the car and she would begin to evangelize and they would pass out tracts to these men. And uh, she would tell them how much Jesus loved them and that they mattered. And these men would give their lives to Mm. Jesus. And she said that she just loved um, the African-American population. She she actually preferred them to the (laughs) aristocratic whites, she said. (laughs) So she was on the road, and they were putting up the tent, and they would either sleep in their Packard or they would erect a little tent next to it, and that's how they slept, and that's how they lived. And it was driving Harold crazy because Amy refused to ask for money. It was just whatever people gave them. So they never knew where their next meal was going to come from, but God always supplied. He supplied mm-hmm. the gas money. Um, he supplied everything. Harold was always fixing up that car and repairing it, but he was an accountant at heart. Yeah. So he liked numbers and he liked yes. organization <laughs> and he had this artistic wife who was so free and yet crowds would come wherever she spoke. And the average crowd was like 5,000 people to hear the gospel and Amazing. people were getting saved every place. But they never knew where they were going to go. She would just, she would just like uh, one day like this piece of paper was like blowing across the um the ground and she picked it up and it said long branch and she's like we're going to long branch i mean that's how she lived her life you know so one day poor harold yes like whoa (laughs) the lord began to put on her heart corona 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 interesting well 
she wanted to write, um, she wanted to have a newspaper and she wanted to write articles for this newspaper. So she wanted, and she had a vision for it. She was going to call it the bridal call. And she was going to tell the testimonies and the stories of what God was doing in these different lives mm-hmm. and how he transformed and how he worked. And she wanted to, to talk about uh, also to give like a little devotional from the Bible in in every periodical. And so she said, oh, we're supposed to have a Corona typewriter. When a letter arrived to her, and it was really coarsely written, like, like a first grader or something, hmm. and it invited her to Corona, New Jersey to speak. And she said, oh, this is the Lord. So Harold packed up the tent. They got in the Packard. They drove all the way to Corona, New York. But when they got to Corona, New York—sorry, I said New, New Jersey. Jersey New it's York? New York. Okay. Corona, New York. <laughs> when they got to Corona, New York, she realized that they were heading towards like the lower income part of town. Mm. And she noticed that she and Robert were the only white people in this part of town. And she knocked on the door, and this large black woman opened the door— and Amy said, hello, I'm Amy Simple McPherson. And this woman took up Amy in her arms and hugged her and began to shout, glory, hallelujah, God, you brought her, you brought her. So <laughs> she invited Amy and Robert in and they said, I'm sorry, Harold in, and they sat at the table. And as they sat at the table, she fed them jam and homemade bread. And Amy said, okay, where is this meeting going to be at? She goes, well, I don't know, honey. That's God's responsibility. I was just to pray it in and invite you. She's, and this woman didn't even read or write, so she would gotten her neighbor to write the letter to Amy. Oh, my goodness. And so she said, you're going to have to find that place. So Amy and Robert like started walking through Corona looking for a place. And this Swedish church agreed to let them speak at this little Swedish church. So Amy began to speak at the Swedish church, and pretty soon it was crowded out. In fact, she said to the woman, well, let's you know have a prayer meeting. And the woman said— um, Sister Amy, I've been praying for two years. We've already prayed up. God's ready to move. <laughs> and so oh, anyway, sure enough, this revival broke out in Corona. Mm. And again, something interesting happened. This cripple came to the meeting, and she had to be carried up to the front row. And she sat there. She was crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. Her name was Louise. Um, I can't remember her last McDermott. And she was crippled up with arthritis. And Amy gave the altar call, and this girl was trying to raise her hand but couldn't. So Amy went down next to the girl, and she began to pray over her. And then Amy told the the girl, raise your hands. And the girl was able to raise her hand straight up to to the Lord without any help. And her neck had been, like her chin had been stuck fast to her her chest. chest, So Amy prayed. And her neck was loosed, and the girl began to move her arms. But then Amy looked at the crippled legs, and she began to pray over them, and the girl jumped her feet and began to dance and walk up and down the aisles. Well, this testimony got over all over town, so oh, people yeah. started bringing um, those who needed healing. And Amy was like, I don't heal people. <laughs> so she said to the whole crowd, she said, look, I'm not a healer. I'm an evangelist, but Jesus Christ is a healer. And the Lord gave her the scripture from Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, mm. today, and forever. And no no evangelist, no preacher had ever um, camped on that scripture before. She took it, and that was like the theme of her life. Mm. Jesus, you're the same today yeah. as you were then. You can do anything. 
So she, um, so she just would say to these people, there will be no healing here unless you receive Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because he's the healer. Amy Simple McPherson could do nothing for anybody. Mm. And so I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. And if you receive Jesus, and she refused to, she said she didn't want to become known as a healer. So she said, look, if you want healing, we'll do it on Friday. But the rest of the week is all dedicated to evangelism. And then Friday was coming. She's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I put it off. Yeah. Yes. But she started out with evangelism. And she said, look, unless you know Jesus Christ, nothing else is any good. Mm. So after Corona, they decided to go down to Florida, and she started leading all these evangelistic uh, campaigns with a tent. And what she would do is she would preach and evangelize from the car and invite people to the tent meeting that night. And one day she was preaching, and by this time they had followers and people in the different towns that would kind of stay with them and help out. And she had the megaphone, and she was preaching. And this young man realized that her voice was getting tired, and he said, you know, Mrs., you know, Sister McPherson, do you want me to take over the megaphone? And she said, yes. So she gave it to him. And he got the megaphone, and he saw this young man walking across the street, and he went into the megaphone, do you realize you're headed to perdition? And the man turned around, and he looked shocked. And Amy was so upset, she grabbed the megaphone back, oh, and gosh. she said, no, it's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. You know, they already know they're going to hell. Mm. We want to bring them through the love of of Jesus Christ and all he's done to know Jesus and to receive Jesus. Don't ever, ever do that again. Mm -hmm. And her method of, of sharing was always to invite people in to the goodness mm -hmm. of the Lord, the of the to Lord, get yep. right with God and move into the blessings mm -hmm. um, of the Lord. Now, Harold began to get very, very tired of the vagabond life. Oh, he I'm was sure. doing yeah. it, but he was like saying, wouldn't you rather live in a nice, cozy home than yeah. in this tent? <laughs> and they were um, they had gone down to New Orleans, and they saw the parade. You oh, know? yeah. Okay. Was and, Mardi Gras. Yeah, and so okay. anyway, the Mardi, Mardi <laughs> that. And they decided that they would turn their car into a float, and Amy would sit on top of it and invite everybody to a meeting that night. And so— Harold just made his way into the parade. Just snuck in. <laughs> yes. And Amy sat on top of this like makeshift white mountain that they put on their Packard and shared the gospel with their megaphone. And they had painted on the side of kind of that white mountain that they made, you know, um, follow me to the, you know, the tent meeting. And on the other side, Jesus is coming soon. And it was packed out. Again, another successful campaign. But Love about it. this time, Harold had had it. He had mm. had it. And it's not clear whether Harold left Amy or Amy left Harold. Hmm, uh, okay. Some say that Amy packed up the car with the two children and drove into town or went to the next place and left Harold fishing. Others said, no, Harold uh, left Amy and took a train back to Rhode Island right. and became an accountant again at that time, and he was through. Mm -hmm. So Amy wired her mother, Minnie, who left the Salvation Army at this time and came to Florida to help Amy with the children and to help Amy with the evangelistic campaign. So were they? did they divorce then at that point, nope. or were they just separated? Nope. They like, were I'm just, just separated. And, okay. They were okay. separated. Um, they will divorce later, hmm. uh, but it will be Harold that divorces Amy, not okay. Amy that divorces Harold. Okay. But he will divorce her, and he will remarry. Hmm. But Amy at this point um, was so enthralled with the Lord and just serving the Lord, she was not interested in getting married 
she just she gave her all to the Lord. Mm. They said she'd be up till two o'clock in the morning just preparing sermons, and she would put her little kids to bed in the tent, you know, on these cots, and tell them Bible stories. And um, her son Rolf remembers the rain just coming through the tent, and her mother holding an umbrella over um, him and his sister all night long while he told them. Uh, while she told them the Bible stories of the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we never knew it was a sacrifice. We thought it was absolutely wonderful. Mm. And all their clothes came from missionary barrels. They were all hand-me-downs. And there's a story I'll tell probably in the next um, episode, part three. Yeah. Yes, in part three, I'll tell a story about um, uh, Rolf McPherson that's super sweet. But in the meantime, Amy didn't have any clothes, and all she had was $7. And so she went to the store to get a dress, and she realized that the dresses started at $8. Oh, so she said, well, where are the dresses for the domestics, you know, the maids? And they said, oh, the servants' a section. She's in the South, right? It's, it's towards the back of the store. She went to the back, and she realized that she could get two white servants' dresses for $5. Bargain. So she bought those two dresses, and that became her uniform. She didn't care about clothes. She didn't care about money. She wore those servants' frocks and had a worn-out cape that came in a missionary barrel that was a military cape, and she would drape that over her shoulders, and that became her uniform for speaking Mm. and traveling. So that's the end of part two. Part three— it's even more interesting. There is so much to wow, say. Wow, we are unpacking a lot here, obviously. <laughs> so, man, that's awesome. So, yeah, thanks for joining us for part two of Amy Semple McPherson. And we'll be coming back, like Cheryl said, we still have parts three and four, guys. So and we're not big. done yet. Oh, there's there's so much more to come. And remember, too, because she said she's including like other stories in here. We're going to get a lot of multi-layered yeah, and that's fun part stuff. Three. That's oh, in three. Oh, okay. yeah. And, and it's going to be a lot of these people I'm going to talk about you either know about or know. Ooh, more women worth knowing teaser, that you teaser, might know. Teaser, right. teaser. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So yeah, thanks for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again. So this is Jasmine Allen and Cheryl Broderson signing off. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.